Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from Southern California, Michael Street on the phone. Michael is a retired police sergeant from the Southern California area. He's also a forensic sketch artist, and he's worked for agencies, my old agency. I think he still does work for them, Baltimore Police Department, and uh, I think LAPD and others. Mike, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Show. Very much appreciated. Thank you for allowing me to be here. It's a, a pleasure to have you here, and I'll be honest with you, this is a fascinating field to me I, i've worked in law enforcement and i admit i don't know much about this so i'm looking forward to the conversation but before we do that mike let's talk about uh, what you do where people get more information and i believe you wrote a book as well didn't you i did i've written two both books um, are available on my website at sketchcop.com uh, the first one's called sketchcop drawing a line against crime and it's semi-autobiographical, uh, but it really largely talks about the art of uh, police sketching, as well as delving into some of the biggest cases I've worked here in Southern California uh, early on in my career uh, that made a lot of headlines and such. And the second book, Creating Digital Faces for Law Enforcement, it talks about uh, my migration uh, from being an analog artist, or what I call an analog artist, drawing a pencil and paper, uh, to a digital medium and how others can do the same. It's more of a textbook. Uh, the first book, Sketch Cop, is more of a true crime uh, type of nonfiction book, and the other one's a textbook to, to teach people how to migrate into the future of police sketching, so to speak. And so when you're not writing books, you're, you're doing forensic artwork. Where can people get more information about that? I am. Um, I have uh, two websites. I have uh, sketchcop.com, which is the... It's a, it's actually a two part website. It's part uh, first part's myself and, and some of, uh, some about my career, my books and media appearances and such. And the other part of the website is my consulting company, uh, Sketchcop Solutions Incorporated, which is a forensic facial imaging consulting firm for global law enforcement. Uh, if they want uh, composite sketches, facial reconstructions, age progressions, one on one facial examinations, historical reconstructions, I mean anything having to do with the face. 
law enforcement academics or select private agencies can get a hold of me there on the website uh, uh, to get consulting work. And that's sketchcop.com. By the way, it's a fascinating full-feature website. Be sure to check it out. Are you also available on social media as well? I am, and I, and I did forget uh, with the website also, you know, we, we produce a facial composite software called SketchCop Facial Composite System Software for law enforcement agencies who are looking for their own uh, digitally driven software solution that want to go in-house for creating faces. There's information about that there. As far as social media, I try to keep it simple, at the SketchCop on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And for professional contacts, I am available on LinkedIn as well under Michael W. Street. And very quickly, before we get into your story, you're you're doing contract work for various law enforcement agencies across the United States? I am. I'm available to any agency in the United States and around the world. Currently, um, I'm the official forensic artist for the Baltimore Police Department under contract, as well as the Los Angeles Police Department, who um, I have a long history with as well. Their police sketch artist was my first mentor back in 1980. Way back in 1980 when I was a rookie police. I'll tell you what, we're... We were, we were all uh, wa- learning to walk before we could run back then. Trust exactly. me, I was, I was right there with you. Exactly. So long ago, Michael. I look back and I think, I still feel very much like a cop inside. On the outside, I, I'm, I look like an older guy. And when I say I feel like a cop, I want people to understand this. My oath to enforce the law expired when I retired. My oath to protect and back up other law enforcement officers in trouble will never have an expiration date. And that applies to people as well. If someone, I see someone being beaten or attacked, or I'm, I'm going to take action, even if it means putting myself at risk. But my body is older, and it cannot do what it used to do. And to be honest with you, working a career in law enforcement, there's a lot of nicks, bangs, scrapes, and scars, and steel plates. Yes, there are. And, and I'm like yourself. You know, I retired 12 years ago from active police work. And I was fortunate that I migrated to a career that allows me to still get involved and be an investigative resource. But, you know, there are days, Jay, where I wake up and I, I'm ready to put the blue suit on. And then I, I move a little bit one way or the other. And my body reminds me I'm a 62-year-old man and uh, best leave to the youngsters. That's a young man's game. And when I say young, man, if you're in your 40s, you're young. If you're in your 50s, you're still young. It, it, it's a big difference. And I see men and women that are retiring after 30 years and they're they're cracking on 60. And I go, whoa, what did you wait so long for? And I get it. I really do. My career was ended due to injury. I wasn't ready for it to end. And I probably would have stayed far longer than I should have. But I, well, we can debate that at another time. I do want to talk about how you got, we'll start with, how you went from policing to becoming a, a forensic sketch artist? Well, you know, I, I grew up like most kids, you know, doodling, drawing, having a dream of, of being something. And I grew up in Orange County, California, right near Disneyland. As a matter of fact, when I was a detective, I could see Disneyland in the distance from my from my desk. And um, I just wanted to be a Disney artist and be a cartoonist. And the longer uh, I got into it, you know, when it came time to graduate from high school, I had to go to college and pick a career. I decided to go in the family business because my father, he retired as a police chief. He had a 35 year police career and there were always police around the house. And so I was fascinated by their stories. I wanted, I wanted to work outside and something that was action oriented where I could help people. 
and uh, police work seemed to fit the bill. So I, you know, I had to put the artistic aspirations on hold for a while. That's kind of unusual in and of itself because, well, when it comes to policing, if you are a sworn member of an agency, you always start off in patrol. That's almost always. And most forensic artists or other crime lab technicians, they're not sworn members and they start in their field, whether it be evidence tech or whatever it might be. You made kind of a, a, a strange transition. You went from policing to doing the artist bit, and that's not doesn't happen very often. It doesn't. Um, you'd be surprised. A, a lot of people that are forensic artists that are sworn police, you know, have degrees in commercial art and or started in commercial art somehow. And forensic art and commercial art are so far away from one another. It's not even funny. But for me. You know, I started out working as a police officer and I hit the streets like everyone else. I wanted to catch crooks. And I figured the best way to keep the community safe was to lock up more bad guys. So I was always looking for new ways to lock up bad guys. So I was getting ready for shift one night and I saw a news broadcast come on that LAPD is looking for X suspect and they flashed a composite on the screen. And at that point, I said, that's the way I can combine my love of art with my love for public service. And in the process, lock up more bad guys. We're going to take a short break. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. We're talking with Michael Street, retired Southern California Police Sergeant, also a forensic sketch artist. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. All too often, we find ourselves getting asked, where can I find other great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Because of this, we decided to create our own network of podcasts here on Law Enforcement Today. You can access top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and free app. Head to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you will find our network link where we will continue to add podcasts from first responders and more. Remember, That's letradioshow.com to find out more information about Law Enforcement Today, our podcast network, and to download our free app, letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation on the Law Enforcement Today show with Michael Street, Michael's retired police sergeant. He's also a forensic sketch artist, and you can get more details about him Online is website, sketchcop.com. Michael, before we went to break, you talked about you were watching the news one night. And to paraphrase, you saw a forensic sketch of a suspect from a crime and, and you got the aha moment. This is where you can combine your love and passion for police work and artwork and do both at the same time. Yes, that's correct. And I as soon as I saw that, I went on shift. Next day, I was on the phone calling LAPD. And I said, you have a sketch artist employed there. And, of course, I was routed to the sketch artist who happened to be teaching a week-long course in police sketching. So I took the course, and I was on fire at that point. That, that is where I, I thought, here's my new ancillary duty. Here's my new specialty. Some police officers, they're defensive tactics experts. They're firearms experts or drug recognition experts. I wanted to be the forensic facial imaging expert. And so 
I started making phone calls. I started finding out who the best people were because I figured if you were going to aspire to be the best, you had to study under the best. So started a journey that lasted a couple decades, crisscrossing the country up into Canada, finding the best people to study under. Well, it helps to learn from the best of the best. One of the things, the, the first question I come up with, well, I got so many to be honest with you, but the first one is, we, we get these calls for, let's just say, an armed robbery, for example, and you're talking to a witness or the victim, and you get description of the suspect, the bad guy, and the, you, you try to get as detailed as you can, and they'll say, oh, he had blonde hair, green eyes, he was six foot, medium build, blah, 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 and you, you wind up later on catching the guy, he's got blue eyes and brown hair. What I'm getting at is, to be really good at what you do, it depends on how good the witness is, correct? Absolutely. And how good you are as a communicator. Everyone thinks that being a successful police sketch artist is about being a good artist. And I always tell people, you know, you've got a variety. Art's very subjective. In other words, some people may have elementary skills and people, you know, compliment them, think they're the greatest artist in the world. You have other people who draw very, very well, like Michelangelo, but they're so stuck on their art that they they don't take criticism well and feedback and such. And really, it's all about the eyewitness and providing a service to them to help them stay engaged and become part of an investigation because they're they're the ones that were there. They're the ones that saw what happened and witnessed the person. You have to take your lead from them. You have to have advanced communication skills and you have to genuinely like people and be a good listener and create this environment of trust very quickly. And at that point, the art becomes secondary. The art becomes an extension of your communication skills and such to be able to create this successful sketch. It was so important to establish a quickly, but and I was lousy at it to begin with, but you develop skills along the way where you could talk to people and you can get them to open up and slow down and, and try to picture in mind's eye what happened, what they saw, and for them to tell you. And, and to tell you the little things, because those are things that oftentimes would lead you to who the, the real bad guy was. And that was not something that was taught in the academy, to be honest with you. That was something I learned from the experienced police. Exactly. And, you know, I hate to steal a, a, a term, a definition, or a saying from television, but one of my favorite TV shows besides The Wire is Bosch. And they have an established motto, I think, is the LAPD robbery homicide. Everyone counts or nobody counts. And it's the same thing with uh, when you're doing a police sketch. I look at it this way. All victims at that point are created equal. When I was in Baltimore, I had citizens. I had criminals come in my office. You know, one day they're a suspect. Today they're a victim. Tomorrow they go back on the street. They're a suspect. But in that moment, Everyone's equal. That's so true. The, the roles change very quickly from uh, victim to suspect and back and forth. And, and I, I, I say this all the time. In my career in Baltimore, the vast majority of people that we had to arrest, it wasn't an adversarial thing. It wasn't conflict and fights and all that stuff. That was a very, very small percentage of the criminal population. So when you'd have someone, let's just say a good example I, I had a drug dealer call me out by name, walking the foot post, and he said, the guy who just left this place has got a three fifty seven in his bag and he's looking to shoot somebody. And I'd arrest him several times. 
but there was not animosity. So it was important to be able to establish your communication with people and not be like the heavy all the time. There's a time for it, there's a time not for it. Exactly, and you know, Jay, I mean, I have people come in and they would tell me about how they became a victim, the circumstances leading up to the crime, and you think to yourself, why, why would you even do that? That wasn't safe. But when you think about it, you know, you don't live their life. Right. You don't have to go through their day-to-day stuff and live in their neighborhood and, and, and try to live on a certain income and, and, and move about a certain segment of society and such. So you have to, like I say, when someone starts talking, you know, you, everyone's the same, everyone's equal. You don't pass judgment. You're there as an investigative resource to facilitate the detectives, help them out. And at the same time, Again, you're, being a sketch artist is a great community engagement tool and a great community policing tool. The fact that you, know, you allow the, the uh, victim or the eyewitness the opportunity to become part of the investigation, you keep them engaged to the point that they want to stay engaged after the sketch and work with the detective. Now, if you get a detective that, you know, you know, offers something like that or disengages them, I have no control over that. But for that moment, that time I have them, we're working as a team. They're part of the department at that point. That's so very important. We've had people, I'll go back to the drug dealer scenario, where someone was a, a career drug dealer on a corner, and we knew each other. But oftentimes, they'd wind up, because of their occupation, for lack of better words, they'd wind up witnessing homicides. They'd wind up witnessing a young girl that this actually did happen on my post that was viciously murdered. And you have to have good communication. Otherwise, if you don't get the information, I would imagine you, in your job as a forensic artist, if you don't get people to talk to you, you can't come up with a possible drawing of what the bad guy looks like. You can't. And if people sense that you're not trusting them or that they're anything less than who they believe their status is in the community uh, or wherever it is that they they, they lay their head down at night, then you're going to lose them really quick. I mean, the first thing I do is, you know, I establish rapport. I learned to establish rapport really quickly. And I learned a lot during my police career. And I used to actually, when I was in Baltimore, I'd get off work at night and I would uh, go down to the block there uh, on my way to the parking lot. There was a sandwich spot I used to eat at this nestled between all these bars and, and uh, clubs and such. And I'd sit there and people come in from the clubs and sit and just start talking to me and stuff they had no idea it's bpd and i try to hone my skills as much as possible whenever i'm out talking to people just to get a sense for how to approach everybody i think that's what makes me successful my career is that i have a genuine love for people of all stripes this is the law enforcement show we're going to turn our conversation with michael street retired southern california police sergeant and also forensic sketch artist i'm going where we'll be right back Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program 
where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers. At the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center, call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Return to our conversation on the Law Enforcement Today show with Michael Street. Michael's a retired police sergeant from Southern California. He's also a forensic sketch artist. Get more details about him and his services. The agency he works for, like Baltimore, L.A., at sketchcop.com. Before we end their break, Michael, you were talking about going to the block in Baltimore, which I remember very well. I was assigned to Central District where I got promoted. And for those who don't know, that was the area where all the strip clubs were, and we had little fast food type restaurants and you have a real eclectic mix of people that would show up there and some fascinating people by the way not all of them uh, the dregs of society some are and even some of those could save your life that's a story for another day so you were there after work and you're talking to people they didn't know your baltimore police department and uh, take us back to that conversation Again, you know, everyone's got a job to do. Everyone's got a role out there, whether they work in a strip club, they deal drugs, they're a police, whatever. And everyone has established rules and roles and such. And as long as everyone understands that, you know, we're good. And, and I really hone my skills, further hone my skills in talking to people in places like that. Because, again, as a sketch artist, I get people of all types that come into my office. But one woman come into my office one time. And, you know, she watched me draw. She said, you must get really bored sitting here all day drawing pictures. And I said, no, I, I really don't. I said, because it's not about the drawing. I said, I've always believed, and I still do, that everyone has a story to tell. And so when I get to sketching and we are talking just about random stuff to fill the time, I get them to tell me their backstory and their life story. And to me, that's more that's the most fascinating part of my job is that allowing the opportunity for everyone to tell their story. And if you can't do that, I'll say it again, if you can't do that in any form of policing, you're not going to get very far. You won't get good descriptions of people. You won't get good descriptions of the bad guys. And, of course, if you can't, then you're not going to find them. And the moment people feel like you're looking down at them, oftentimes they would clam up. So I I can imagine how important that is for you. I I look back now, and I, I remember seeing cases where there's sketches of potential suspects that were released, and then when they caught the bad guy, they look and go, they look nothing alike. And then other ones, where they're spot on, you go, that's scary. And other forensic artists, well, maybe that's not the right term, but like courtroom artists, I know what the defendant looks like in real life. And I look at the drawings of what they have and go, huh? doesn't look like the same guy. So how do you manage to get I know you worked on some big cases, but you have so much pressure. How do you manage to get a good likeness of a, a bad guy that you worked on, like a real high-profile case? Well, I still look at it this way, and I'll preface this before I tell you this, this about this one case. Is that I look at myself as just being an ordinary person with an extraordinary career, an extraordinary job that I really love. And so I had a particular case uh, in 2002 in, in Orange County here, where a five-year-old girl was grabbed off the street by a stranger. She was playing with another five-year-old friend of hers in an alleyway in a condominium complex in the west side of the county. 
And some stranger, a male adult, uh, came by and did the typical, can you help me find a, a dog? I've got a lost dog. And when the girls got too close to him, he grabbed one up and, and ran. And, of course, he takes her away in a car. You've got no crime scene. You've got the area it happened, but no visible, tangible evidence left. So they're left with a five-year-old girl. And so the five-year-old eyewitness and I worked together to create a sketch. Now, the extraordinary thing about this case was the abduction happened at about 5.30 in the evening. It was a summer evening. It was in July, so it was staying light later. They called me and said, hey, we may need, we may need you later for a sketch. And I'd worked with this agency several times before, so they knew they could call me. I said, fine. I was uh, training a rookie at the academy. We got everything all wrapped up just, just in case they called. And they didn't call until midnight. Between 5.30 and midnight, the girl had talked to her. Now, you mind, keep in mind, she's five years old. She talked to her grandmother, the responding deputy, responding detectives, social workers, every news outlet in Orange and L.A. County. So by the time I got her, it was midnight, and she was five years old. Everyone's dragging. I'm dragging. I sit down with her to do the sketch. We worked till 3 a.m. on this sketch. They put the sketch out, and two different people called independent of one another and named the suspect. And so the deputies found him, tracked him, got a DNA swab, and in that interim time, they found the girl's body. She'd been raped and murdered the next day. At that crime scene, they found a treasure trove of evidence, tire tracks, footprints, and such. And so when they got the name, they did have DNA. They recovered off the girl's body. She had, like, some uh, skin scrapings on her fingernails. Made a positive ID. He looked exactly like the sketch. And, I, you know, I had... I had news outlets that people all calling, how did you get this accurate information from a five-year-old girl? Uh, unfortunately, at the time, you know, my son was off at war in Iraq. My first wife was dying of cancer, and this case came up, and I had a lot of personal pressure, a lot of professional pressure. And it's, it's probably the case that gets talked about the most in my career, and it was just profiled on TV on the ID Discovery Network, and it was interviewed for that case probably about a month ago. Does it make you feel good? I know the answer to this question. As a police, when you catch a bad guy and he does something absolutely horrendous, there's a moment, there's like a victory, and sometimes it's not so silent. Sometimes it's quite in your face. Did you have that moment when he was, when you put the sketch out there, it was released, and two people called and said, this is his name? You know, I had a, it was almost terrifying in a way because I had a uh, news reporter I knew really well. She said, how did it feel to wake up the next morning and see your composite all over the internet, all over the world. And, I, and I, the person had been ID'd it, I said, I, I felt a tremendous amount of pressure. But, you know, Jay, this case, when I talk about this case, they're all important cases. I mean, even the ones that don't make the media. It, I think that, you know, what happens to one person is relative to what happens to another person. I mean, you can't equate murder to, to robbery or, or something else. But at the, at the end of the day, you know, People all process and experience trauma differently. And I'm almost embarrassed I get all the attention from this particular case because there were 400 deputies, police, crime lab techs working on it. I wound up getting all the attention, and they were the ones, you know, doing a lot of the work behind the scenes to help confirm this identification from the sketch. So I, I was glad to be a part of the team, was thankful for the attention, but to me all the cases are important. Um, they have to be. They are important. I, I and here this this sounds very trivial compared to 
horrible homicides and, and things of that nature. But when someone has their car stolen, and they get their, that's how they make their living, going to work to support their family, and then they get it back. I had this happen to me. Got the car back, and I felt so violated over something as trivial as that taking the stereo out or pulling the stuff out of the glove box. And it's easy to lose sight of that's a big deal for that person. It is, and and I was actually I was I was burglarized when I was in Baltimore. I I, found, I decided to stop and have coffee one night on my on my way home from work, and at the same time, an armed burglar was ransacking my studio apartment. And I I got there and saw my thrashed apartment, and I was like, you know, I mean, I'd experienced that on the other end thousands of times, but just for that moment, I was like, whoa, you know, I mean, they they. They took minor stuff, but the fact that they were in my apartment, they saw I was police. They saw that, you know, yeah, it was a, I, for that, for that one moment, I was just like the people, I was the, I was a victim of a crime, although I didn't feel like a victim, but I felt, I felt empathy for that moment for the people like me that I'd maybe have been not so, maybe a little bit more dismissive than I should have been at the time while taking reports. We are talking with Michael Street. Michael is a retired police sergeant from Southern California. He's also, can I say, world-famous forensic sketch artist. You can get more details about him on his website, sketchcop.com. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to take a short break. We will be right back. Remember in the beginning, when you first started to build a life for you and your family, you never imagined it would come to this. Instead of living your dreams, you're living with debt. In fact, it's smothering you. Now there's a way you can take back control with one simple call. If you owe $10,000 or more in credit card debt, you qualify to receive a free, no-obligation consultation on how to get rid of that debt for good. Call the Debt Helpline now. We work on your behalf to reduce your debt. We specialize in credit cards, retail store cards, and medical bills. One simple call is all it takes to get the ball rolling to a debt-free life. Stop living with debt and start living your dreams. Call the Debt Helpline now. 800-709-4389. 800-709-4389. 800-709-4389. That's 800-709-4389. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. 
This is Law Enforcement A Show. I'm John J. Wiley, retired Baltimore Police Sergeant, and I'm joined by Michael Street, a retired police sergeant from Southern California. And he also worked for my old agency, and still does, as a contract forensic art specialist. It's the Baltimore Police Department. And in addition to working for other agencies, you, you work on you can work on one case at a time. By the way, get more details about Michael's services at his website, sketchcop.com. Also, details about his books there. Michael, you've worked on many cases in your career. And one of the hardest, and I get this all the time from people, and maybe it's because of Hollywood. They think that these happen all the time. Serial killers. I, I've never worked a serial killer case. I, I worked the regular everyday kind of homicides, and they were horrifying enough. But those serial killers, the stranger-on-stranger stranger homicides, are extremely hard to solve. I know you worked on several during your career. I did. I, I actually, there were two cases I worked on uh, that come to mind in terms of being a serial killer. One was the Baton Rouge serial killer, and this occurred uh, during the late 90s, mid-90s and such. My involvement in it was in 1998. I was doing some work with America's Most Wanted, who was working with a facial composite software company to create a composite of an eyewitness uh, to a, um, a deadly assault where the victim survived. And it wound up, uh, at the same time, there were some co-eds disappearing down the Baton Rouge area. I did a case for Zachary Police Department, smaller police department nearby. And from that sketch, some people were able to identify a local person that they were aware of that had a history of being a peeping Tom and such. And when they, you looked at the sketch next to this computer-generated composite, you could see a strong resemblance and such, and that helped point uh, detectives towards this particular subject. Another one in Southern California I worked was a, a 10-year-old boy. For, for some reason, I'd gotten a series of high-profile child murder cases over the years, and, and those are certainly tough. And this child was, he was a 10-year-old boy, and he was playing with his 8-year-old brother and his 10-year-old cousin. And the mom told me they were literally 20 feet from the front door, out playing in the yard. Again, guy comes through, I, I need help looking for my lost cat, the favorite MO of a child abductor. Uh, helped me look for a small animal, abducted the child at knife point, and actually the the killer, the abductor, was going after the 8-year-old brother, the victim, the brother, the 10-year-old brother, courageously stepped between his brother, his 8-year-old brother, and the abductor, and, and, and almost like, okay, take me, and he did, and, and he found the body a week later. Uh, he was been sexually assaulted and murdered, and I worked with the two boys, the eight-year-old and the 10-year-old, for a couple hours creating a sketch of this person. And again, when I walked into that squad room, there were officers lining the walls, all four walls from different agencies. And you know how hard it is to get agencies to cooperate together sometimes. Yeah. So when it comes to a kid, it's all hands on deck. During the sketch, people kept coming in. The media's waiting for the sketch. The media's waiting for the sketch. And I had, I had to delay my departure after the sketch was done until the media emptied the parking lot. And then I felt comfortable leaving. That case went on and on. There were some agency, interagency squabbles. Uh, FBI got involved. America's Most Wanted was involved. And this case went cold. A lot of promising leads that went cold for, oh my goodness, like eight years. I get a phone call one day. Some, a friend of mine, she left a message saying, what do you think about them IDing the person? So I went to the news and found out that what had happened was is this suspect, he had stalked the family in Idaho, slaughtered the family, kidnapped the children, 
he he tortured and murdered the young boy in front of his sister in some federal campground. And he was eventually caught when he brought the girl into a one night and ordered food. And the waitress remembered seeing her on the news, called the police. They arrested him. He admitted to the crime. Then he recanted. The detectives were like, okay, he's probably going to cop anything. So they got my composite, looked at him and went, ooh, we better call Southern California and see what's up. They get a search warrant for the thumbprints. And at the time they rolled the thumbprints, they didn't roll the top of the thumbs. They found some uh, fingerprints on the duct tape that was used to bound this kid up eight years before. They did a temperate match, and uh, he's sitting on death row in Terre Haute, Indiana, waiting for the federal death penalty. And in the meantime, they suspect him of, of killing two more children in the state of Washington. Uh, he had a laptop that was a treasure trove of information that was supposedly like a chamber of horrors. He was a known pedophile. Uh, he was first jailed when he was like 14 or 16 for raping a kid at not, a gunpoint. Real bad actor. But, you know, he suspected murdering several children and um, murdered this child. And, uh, you know, we got justice for him. It was, it was eight years late, but it's never too late, obviously, for justice in those kind of cases. And it's a totally different state that he was captured in, if I recall. It was. He was captured in Idaho. And these cases, the Samantha Runyon case I talked about, the five-year-old girl and this particular case, are highlighted in my book, Sketch Cop, Drawing a Line Against Crime. So if people are interested in reading about those crimes and more about other similar crimes, uh, they can go to my website and get the book. It's a big push right now nationwide about facial recognition software and even like DNA. And people say they don't want police having access to that. And I try to explain to them that even with a sketch or, or facial recognition software, you just don't go lock the person up. You've got to, that, that's an investigative tool that gets you closer. You gotta have other substantiating evidence and probable cause to make your arrest. So I'm not downplaying what you do. I just want people to understand that is a major primary investigative tool, but it's not one that can get someone arrested. Am I correct? That is correct. What happens is, and most of, most of the reluctance I get from people coming to my office is that they're afraid they're going to be responsible for the, a, a person being wrongfully imprisoned. And I said, those are cases where there's a breakdown during the investigation somewhere. Someone didn't follow the rules. There was a mistake made or some sort of corruption that you won't be responsible for. And once they hear that, you know, it, it's fine, but it's like any other tool. If it's used responsibly, it's a great tool. But hold those who misuse it accountable and don't throw the baby out with the bathwater right. because in the long term, you're hurting society and you're hurting the public at large. And you wind up hurting people that, that wind up getting victimized in other areas. These these killers that you just made a great point, they travel. They don't stay in one area long because they're afraid of going to get found out. We're talking with Michael Street, retired Police sergeant from Southern California. He's also a forensic sketch artist. Tell us about your website and the different services you offer. First of all, for true crime junkies and people that want to know more about how sketch artists works and, 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 and the cases that we've worked and, and such, then go to my website. The top navigation bar tells you more about my bio. I've been involved in lots of cases, including the Alcatraz escape from 1962 in San Francisco, which is a great story as well as some of my media appearances and my blog. Uh, the bottom navigation bar has to do with my forensic consulting uh, business. Uh, 
SketchCop Solutions. Uh, we're a forensic facial identification and facial imaging firm, mostly for law enforcement, academics, and select private agencies who need facial composites, uh, one-on-one facial comparisons, age progressions and missing uh, children or fugitives, forensic facial skull reconstruction. As long as it involves the face, it doesn't matter where in the world you are. Uh, you can you can send us an email, contact at sketchcop.com or go to sketchcop.com. Those who want training, go to our sketchcopacademy.com website as well. We have online courses. More coming soon. Where do you find the time to get all this done? You know, uh, people ask me what I do for fun. I said, catch criminals. And they said, what do you do for hobbies? I said, help catch criminals. This is my life. This is my life. This is what I do. What do you do in your downtime? I talk about helping catch criminals. That's what I do. That's pretty much what I mean. I travel. I mean, I I had trips lined up to India, uh, Kosovo, and Baltimore to consult with agencies and teach and stuff until COVID-19 hit. And I plan on resuming those when things settle down. But, um, I have a great partner. My wife is very supportive, and we have adult children, so I've got plenty of spare time to to help police catch criminals. So I welcome the calls and welcome the emails. Get more life. details at his website, sketchcop.com. You'll find something there for uh, true crime enthusiasts and also police agencies as well. Michael Street, thank you very much for your service, and thanks for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. It was a privilege, Jay. Thank you so much. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Be sure to get yours today. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. Mm-hmm.